Morning, church. Man, I tell you, that song, I love it. He will hold me fast. He's the one doing the holding. I'm doing the screaming. Help! (laughs) Um, As you know, I like to encourage you guys to read the Word of God constantly. And I just want to encourage you, I mean, really, read Romans chapter 8 all the time. I I, I try to read Romans 8 and uh, Psalm 37 every day. But uh, here's my challenge for you guys or encouragement. Read Romans chapter 8, verse 1. When you wake up and when you go to bed. When you wake up and you go to bed for this week. Read Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's no more condemnation. Truly, that is. You get to wake up free every day. Thank you, Jesus, by faith in Him. I also encourage you guys to keep praying. Hopefully, you're praying with someone. Of course, you know that doesn't... Prayer doesn't make you more of a Christian. It just reminds you how much God loves you. That's why you pray. That's why we do it. It's a reminder to know that He's got us. So it'll give you encouragement. Pray. And, you know, pray about possibly, you know, we're coming up to Easter and there's a lot of events that we're doing. Pray that, we're, that maybe God will use you as the broken tool to bring this magnificent gospel to someone that they'll come to know Jesus. Or maybe someone needs to be reminded of Jesus. I think we all need to be reminded of Jesus. And God will use you. Let's go now to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Truly, Lord, you are a God full of mercy and love and grace. God, your kindness and patience is meant to lead us to repentance before you. God, we're just so grateful that you are so kind and patient with us. God, I pray that we can bestow that patience and kindness with each other so that we may reflect that in our lives so that we will be granted repentance amongst each other, but more specifically before you. Lord, now as we come before you to to hear about your word, we pray, Lord, that you just uplift us in the reminder that you got us covered by Jesus. Also, too, Lord, we make a special plea that you be with all those churches that are meeting in whatever capacity around the world under all the different governments that are either dictatorships or maybe some places where there's no government at all, Lord. We just pray that your word will go out and that people will come to know you and that we will grow in you and that they will grow in you. You are true and magnificent, magnificent God. So, Lord, convict us of our sins. Expose them. Reveal it to us. God, we're good at trying to hide them, trying to justify them, but your word is stronger. Your grace is more. Because you truly reveal how we don't deserve anything, but you have given us everything through your son. Lord, I pray that we can just have more faith in you and encourage one another to do the same. That we may be filled with love, hope, and peace. So we can live the faith out consistently before you and all people. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I talk a lot about this glorious gospel of God's grace. You know, it's it's a truly, it's a wonderful thing to dwell on. I mean, to speak speak of and, and really to revel in, you know, roll around in it. You know why? Because the eternal wrath of God, the eternal torment of hell and our of hell for our souls has been officially and completely removed from us by faith alone in Jesus. You know, the justice of of the hammer of God that was once our end for our sins 
to be crushed by for eternity is no longer there. We no longer walk under its mighty shadow because Christ stood in our place to have all the wrath that we deserve to be placed upon Him. And in return, by faith in Him, we became declared righteous. All of our sins were forgiven, past, present, and future. Not because of anything we have done or could even do, but solely because of what Christ has done for us by faith in Him. He did all the work, and we get all the benefits by faith alone. And not only now by faith in Christ have all of our sins been forgiven, not only have we been declared righteous before God, we also have His favor and His blessings upon us. We, we were adopted to be His children in which He graciously loves. So now we live by and in His grace through faith in Jesus alone. We are His beloved on an individual level and on a corporate level, meaning all of you here, all the Christians around the world. You know what this means then? We have ultimate purpose. We have ultimate meaning in our life. There is a goal, there is a destination to which we're moving towards. Let me put it more more directly towards you. Every day that you wake up and have to face all the issues of the day, face those toxic relationships, maybe, face your own body's pain, maybe, have to face that job that's really tedious and hard, or maybe you wake up and you don't have to face any of those things. Maybe you just wake up, drink your coffee, have some breakfast, and turn on the TV and your jam jams or something. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever be the case, you have purpose in this world now because of what Jesus Christ did for you by faith in Him. And you're not alone in this purpose. God has a purpose for you. He has a goal for you. And that purpose and goal is the same for all of us. The church, all the believers who have faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul's going to go over that purpose today in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. So, our title today is The Purpose of the Church. So, we're going to look at the text and see what it is. And Paul kind of he, he lays it out pretty bluntly in verse 13. This is Paul's vision of the church, not mine, his which is ultimately God's. Until, he says, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. They got it right there. Now, what what we have here is is really fascinating, though, when you look at it. Because what Paul says says here is kind of like multifaceted towards the purpose which he states at the end. If we were to summarize what Paul is saying here, the goal and the purpose we have, the ultimate purpose, is to conform to the image of Christ. Or, as our first point says, called to mature in Christ. And this idea of maturing in Christ is very important here because he says, until we attain. And the idea here then from the Greek is not so much as as like getting, uh, like obtaining, but it's more this idea of coming to an end, a destination, arriving at, or put differently. It's about manifesting something more and more visibly in our life. Think of it this way. Paul says, we, meaning all believers, no matter if you're an evangelist, if you're a pastor, you're a teacher, or just a believer, 
quote-unquote, if you want to put it that way. We're all on the same path. And notice here, again, Paul does not just say you, but we, which includes him, an apostle. So through this purpose, obviously this purpose is for us as individuals. But Paul wants to emphasize the corporate purpose, the corporate aspect, the group aspect, this togetherness of our purpose, this destination of, of our growing together, uniting visibly together, as he says, in the unity of the faith, which means we all have this ministry individually and corporately. We are to grow in our intellectual knowledge of the faith, meaning the teachings of God's Word. Paul's not speaking of personal faith. He's saying more, the, the more we learn about the content of the faith, which is laid out in Scripture, the goal is to have us unify in it more and more. And at one time, we will all have, at one point, have it all down on the next side of eternity. And Paul here then connects the faith by saying, and with the knowledge of the Son of God. And and so what you get here is that Paul is not saying we must mature and unify with our head knowledge only. For the faith, all of Scripture, is based in and centered on Jesus and and His gospel ultimately. So look at it this way. All of the Bible will bring you into a deeper and deeper, deeper into knowing Christ on a relational level. For though all believers know him by faith, that's the only way to be a Christian is to have faith in Jesus. We are to grow or mature in our head knowledge, the faith, and our relational knowledge of Christ. Or to be more, can I just put more concrete here? We grow in being discipled by him through learning his word, the faith, so that we can trust in him alone and nothing else. Trust in the knowledge of the Son of God. See, what Paul is getting at here is that we are to unify in promoting the word of God in our lives and declare to each other that Christ alone and nothing else should be trusted with in our lives or with our lives. Because it's all about Christ. He's at the center of it all. He says in this way, we are on this path to unite to mature manhood. And notice, Paul speaks in the singular here. A mature manhood, not hoods. The big emphasis here is the unity, this togetherness. Christianity is not just just a solo thing. It is a we thing. Now, Now, maturing in Christ, obviously it happens to us as individuals, and it's important as we go about our life to mature in him. But it also happens amongst us corporately. And that's the main point of this text. The idea of maturing here is our unifying in the Lord and what becomes visually expressed by that. 
So understand this big emphasis is that we are together. That's that we belong together. That's for that's what growing in maturing in the knowledge of the son of in the faith of the son of God does to us. So remember the context of this book. He's speaking to Jew and Gentile saying they are now one new man. By faith in Christ, right? That's, the, that's one of the main reasons why he wrote this book. So maturing in Christ is ultimately seen as them interacting with each other as one, as his one body, as one in Christ. See, it, and, and the extravagant part here, Paul says, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. See, Paul is now kind of coming to this, this summary of the purpose of the church here, ultimately. For it's all about becoming like Christ in the world. And the mind-blowing part is that, is that this maturity is, is not just to become like Christ. It's not just for the individual believer. But the maturity of becoming more like Christ is for the body of believers. The church is to become more Christ-like more like Christ. So it's not only our personal character and attitudes that are, and deeds that are to reflect Christ in our life, but the very church body, you, we together, as one mature manhood, are called to reflect our Savior. I mean, do you realize that our church then as a local body has in some sense a personality to it, if you will, when we gather, for example, on Sundays. We gather a lot of other times, but when we gather on Sundays, for example, we gather and reflect Christ's likeness and mature in that. I mean, I admit it's kind of a hard concept to grasp. It's a bit hard because our culture is very individualistic. It's even hard for me to grasp, to be very honest. But think of it this way. I'm going to lay it out. When someone visits the church, do they walk away saying, Christ is with that church. His presence could be seen in how they interact with each other, in how they deal with each other, in how they love each other, in how they place each other first, in how they serve each other, in how they interacted and served me as their guest. Would the guest say, for the good news of the the gospel of how they are free, how they are rescued, how they have found their everything in Christ is visibly seen in them. The grace of God can be seen in them, the freedom. Or do they walk away saying Christ was with some of the individuals? There were a few. Now, I'm not saying we base ourselves on other people's opinions because opinions are like armpits everyone has them and they smell okay so i'm look okay i I get it but it is a thought to help us see towards the direction of maturing as one manhood as one people in the lord that we all are in this so that we can reflect christ and his grace in all things together as one See, we tend to think that the fruits of the Spirit, which are listed in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, I'll read it to you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Against such things there is no law. And we think they only apply to us individually. But they also apply to us corporately. For we are the one body of Christ. And as we minister to each other, uplift each other, love each other, teach one another, promoting Christ and his word, his gospel to each other, overlooking any differences and annoyances and disappointments that would separate us, and rather unite together in Jesus despite those things, which, by the way, patience, joy, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, all has to be there to do such things. That reveals our maturity in Christ and promotes unity in the body that, so that the body will reflect the maturity in Christ. And this is why it's so vitally important to see Christ as your everything, as our everything, to know to know the faith of the Son of God, I'm summarizing that passage, right? To understand that all has been accomplished by him for you, for me, for us, this church, the church, by faith alone. That we are truly free in him by faith alone. To know that God's love and favor and blessings upon us is not because of our performance, the church's performance, not because of our works before him, the church's works before him, but because of his son's performance and works on our behalf, the church's behalf. Let me get a little bit more direct here. It is vital to know that God's goal for you and me and his church, his church in this world, all of it, the purpose has been achieved for us. So this is important. Achieved for us in Christ. Which means that the purpose, our goal then, is not necessarily about being successful servants or a successful servant as a church in this world. Or even a successful church in this world according to our standards. And there's some of you are like, wait, what? I don't... Realize this. When you look at the text, Paul is plainly, plainly saying the standard is to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I'll say it again to, to get us a track here. His goal for you and me, the church, is to be conformed to the image of Christ according to Christ's measure, his stature, his standards. So the success is not necessarily numbers, finances, projects, programs, baptisms, missions, which, which a lot of people measure as success for maturity. Those are things we do, and they're good, and they're vital, we're important. But those aren't necessarily the goal. These things we do, but that is not the goal the goal is our conforming to the standard and image and maturing in Christ, in him individually and corporately, which is reflected in the context of this book in how we are dealing with each other, right? Because that's the main issue. Jews and Gentiles are having a hard time getting together. 
how we unite as one in the Lord. Jesus himself said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, you are maturing in me, if you have a love for one another, uniting together. How we love each other as one in the world, as we unite together, is how the world will know we are his disciples. As we mature together in uniting and fellowshipping and loving together, the world will know we are his disciples because we will be reflecting Christ as his one body. Now, of course, caring for the poor, evangelisms, baptisms, missions, and programs will flow from such love. Because the source is Christ. And not our works and what we do, but what he has done. And we will want to do such things. But those things aren't the goal. The ultimate, they're not the ultimate goal. The goal and the purpose as a church is to reflect and mature in Christ as one in the Lord. That's what Paul is saying here. Until we reach that. Until we attain, that's the destination. So Paul explains why we need to keep this goal in mind, which is the gospel promise. He says in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. And this brings us to our second point. We're called to abandon immaturity. Leave it. Like my child abandons broccoli when he puts it in his mouth. He's like, oh, no, get that out of here. Notice here, Paul again says, we. He includes himself in this. So the idea here is not, here is that even he, as an apostle, is to keep this goal in mind as he goes about his own ministries. Even as an apostle, he must keep the focus on what the goal is, to be like Christ, not just individually, but corporately. So basically what you have here then is Paul is using all these analogies in this text of being childish and tossed to and fro, being tricked with false doctrines. Now people are like literally trying to do that, like that's their goal is to mess you up. Paul is saying through uniting in the knowledge of the faith of the Son of God to this mature manhood, we should desire to leave behind our individual ways of not associating with each other because of our differences, like political and social issues. Do I need to give a list? I think you know the list of why we need to divide and say, no, that's not true. Leave behind our ignorance of not wanting to learn and trust in what Christ has achieved for us through his life, death, and resurrection. Thinking it's all on us. Leave behind our instability and doubt that Christ has truly forgiven us and loves us unconditionally. We should desire to ignore the false teachers and doctrines that try to bind our conscience to being enslaved to law, saying you must earn the favor and blessings of God by what you do. Otherwise, he's going to abandon you. 
We should pay no attention to the false doctrines of people who try to manipulate you to believe that faith alone in Christ is not enough to keep you saved and change your heart. We are to pay no mind to those who try to say to you, you're not truly free to rest in Christ by faith alone and His grace. We are to disregard all those who say the gospel is a do thing, it's a work thing, rather than saying it's a done thing. Because if we don't, we all of a sudden then make Christianity all about you, rather than saying what, rather making Christianity all what has been done for you by faith alone in Christ. Because the focus gets lost. It's focused on the doing rather than the done. Immaturity enslaves you to constantly have you in the focus at the expense of others. Like a child. That's how my children are. Rather than keeping Christ at the focus so that you can be freed from selfishness to selflessness, to then help and invest in others like an adult. And let me tell you, I struggle with this all the time. So how is this possible then to abandon such selfish, self-focused ways? How is it possible to not get caught up in such falsities which sprout in in the Christian realm all the time? And rather to grow up into maturity and unity. This brings us then to our last point, called to promote dependence upon Christ, our purpose. Paul says in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Paul says we overcome such things by speaking the truth in love. This is how we're able to grow up, grow in our faith in Christ as one, But you might ask, okay, well, what is this truth that we are to encourage others by? And Paul, well, wonderfully, Paul has defined that back in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. It is the word of God which ultimately points to the gospel. And what's intriguing here is that Paul is doing a bit of a word play when Paul says, speaking the truth in love. Because in one sense... It points to this idea we bring encouragement to each other when we speak the truth of God's word and what he has done, that he has done everything uh, that we need to be right with him through Christ. He has freed us from our sins, freed us from a life of slavery, of trying to better ourselves, trying to get all the things right. And rather we can rest in Christ by faith alone. He will provide that all for us. We are to speak these truths to each other, making much of, of Jesus in who we unify in. But there's also another way in which he's pointing at. And you could, I guess you could say a more literal translation is Paul is saying rather truthing in love. And this aspect is that all the truth we say and believe in is then consequently lived out in us. Living in the truth that we have been set free by the grace of God through faith alone in Jesus, this truth or gospel truth then enables us to freely love each other and gracefully interact with each other, investing in one another without needing anything in return from each other. To simply love each other without condition or requirement. 
For this is how we are loved by God. That's the truth of the gospel. He freely gives and invests in us through, through our faith in Christ, despite our inconsistent and sinful performance before him. So this love that we are loved by through faith in Christ then enables us to give and invest with true love to each other because we're always looking out for the other's betterment without looking for anything in return. That's what love is. It is through this we grow up into maturity in Christ together as one and reflect him. But now the question may come, well, how on earth is it possible Where does the power come to do that? I can't live like that. I can't love people like that. Trust me, I I can't, okay? I'm also speaking myself here. I have a hard enough time trying to love my own family and friends like that. I'm sure you do too. How do I love and give myself to others then in the church as Christ has given himself over for me so that we can grow in uniting in the Lord. I mean, that's, that's intense. Right? I mean, what, I'm, what, what Paul lays out here is not just like, oh, yeah. It's like, okay. And Paul says, hey, don't stress. Don't worry about working for it. This is not upon you to do. Remember, Christianity has, is what has been done for you that you solely receive by faith in Christ. Jesus took care of this for you and me too. He took care of this for the church. He knew how weak and sinful and selfish and self-centered we are. This is why Paul says in verse 16, from whom the whole body joined together by every joint with with, uh, which it is equipped when each is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul says, from whom? Referring to Jesus. The whole body, you and me, everyone here who is a believer in Christ and the church around the world, it is Jesus, not you. It's not on you, but on Christ. He is holding us together to fellowship harmoniously and lovingly as one. He is the one that joined and held together by every joint, meaning that he is the one who is precisely and precision Wise, He is fitting us together so that we can unite lovingly as one in him visibly. Even if we can't see how it's possible, he's doing it. That's what it says by faith in him. That's what it says here. Christ is responsible for this. We just need to trust in him by faith. We live by faith. We live by faith in this truth. We may say, well, I don't see how it's possible for you and I because we're on two separate spectrums when it comes to X, Y, and Z. But I know the one who does know it's possible and is making it possible, possible, and I trust in him alone. We trust in him alone together to bring us closer together visibly to reflect him to each other and this world as one. Right? You take the you, you take the personal out of it, and you place Christ. The moment you start taking the personal out of whatever the situation is, all of a sudden, the floodgates open. Because it's no longer about you, it's about Christ. So when you start getting angry at someone, take the personal out, put Christ there. See, Paul says, with with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. Christ, again here, is the one who does this. He does the equipping, ultimately, the supplying. He has given us all gifts 
And he is, but, but, and they're all different on different levels, but he has also given us the one gift too that we all share in, the Holy Spirit. Through him, he provides all the power and grace we need to get us working properly by faith in Christ. And again, this passage is all about Jesus. It's not about you, it's about Jesus, which becomes reflected in you. Which is why Paul says, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Remember how Paul started off from whom the body, the whole body, referring to Jesus, he started off in verse 16, saying it's Jesus. Jesus makes the body grow. Not you, it's Christ. Jesus is the one that makes us grow and mature in him so that we can be loving to each other by word and by deed. It's Christ. When you put you at the center, it's not loving, it's all law. We start judging each other. He is the source of power, not us. We are his tools, but he is the source of power. So deepening our faith in Christ with learning about the faith, knowing Jesus Christ on a personal level and his love for us more and more relationally will result in love for brothers and sisters in Christ more. By focusing on the goal of God for the church to be conformed to the image of Christ by faith in him, this will promote us and enable us to use our gifts to spend time and energy and resources to unite together in Christ by loving each other. It just happens as a wonderful consequence. We love because we have been loved. We don't love out of need or duty or fear or even for gain. We love because our hearts can't help but love when we see the wonders of Christ's love towards us. See, when we sin, we by faith, even if we don't feel like loving God, we run back to the cross by faith, the greatest expression of God's love for us, and it promotes and stirs our love for him. When we come together we don't, and we don't feel like loving the brethren, when we don't feel like exercising our gifts for the betterment of others in Christ, when we don't feel like uniting and loving each other in the Lord, we are to look to the cross, look to Jesus and his gospel and see his love for us and let him melt our stony hearts, our selfish ways. Let him melt our apathy towards each other. Let him melt our anger, our unforgiveness, our worry, our fear, our pride. We are to look to him and his love for us by faith to help us become loving to each other. Look to him to mature us by faith in him, to unite us in him lovingly. For the demand is there, okay? It's there. To unite and mature in him. We are to love each other and we are called to do it. The demand is there. Now, I can command you to do it. I can pound this as much. Love each other, love each other, love each other until I'm blue in the face. But guess what that will accomplish? Absolutely nothing. Sure, it might change your behavior for a moment. You're like, I am so happy in Jesus for you. I'm serving you. I love you so much, you know. Sure, it might change your behavior to do some more things for a time. But it won't change your heart no matter how many times I tell you you need to do it. It does nothing. Because the power is not in the command. The, the, the command reveals. But the power is in and from Christ alone through faith in him. That's where the melts your heart. 
And that's the good news of the gospel. For Christ has fulfilled all the law's commands for us. He will apply and supply all that is demanded for us by faith in him alone. And the cross is proof of that. We have more than enough to be supplied by him. So church, let us keep the goal in mind that God's purpose is to make us more like Christ individually and corporately. And from that, we will end up accomplishing much. So let us spur each other to have faith in Christ more and more and to be confident that he will and is making it happen, our fellowshipping in love together. Amen. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everything you've done. God, I ask right now that you recenter our hearts, recenter our minds to focus on you and your goal is to be like Christ. That's our goal. And from that flows all the things you have called us to do. Because as you have even stated in this passage, our good works are laid out that we may walk in them. Because Christ has accomplished it all for us. We just need to trust him by faith. God, help us remember that. If we're struggling with sins and we're trying to overcome them by what we do, Lord, help us go to you to remember that we have been forgiven. And you have died for those sins. Lord, if there's relational issues, Lord, I pray that you melt the hearts and remember that you you are the great restorer. You restored us to us and you can restore us to each other. God, if, if there's someone that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that you reveal yourself to them so they can trust in you and know that they're a sinner in need of your grace. And God, I pray that all of us can remember that we are sinners in need of your grace. For truly... We are sinners. As Paul says, he is the chief of sinners at the end of his life. Because as he came to know you, he started to see how truly sinful he is and how truly sufficient you are. And I pray, Lord, that that be something we do here today and as we move forward this week. In Jesus' name, amen.